A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got much to do and uh, we've got plenty of time to do it as well. So don't worry, keep your calls coming. We will get to more of them. Uh, many of you want to talk about net zero. Many of you want to talk about uh, the crime problems in this country. And of course, uh, the whole ULEZ re- revolution. Uh, Sadiq Khan wants to charge you yet more money for driving. Uh, Rishi Sunak says he wants to be the motorist's friend. And he showed how much he wants to be the motorist's friend by getting into Margaret Thatcher's Jaguar apparently yesterday, uh, just to prove he knows a lot of about cars, although it would be uh, unfair not to point out the fact that you might remember when he was filling up a car once with petrol, he borrowed somebody else's to make it look as though actually he was a man of the people. Uh, He was putting some petrol into a very small car uh, and then paying for it. Interesting times. 0344-499-1000. So far, though, uh, it's not working on you lot because you're not buying it. Rishi Sunak is not to be trusted, seems to be the message we got this morning from an awful lot uh, of the voters, the potential Conservative voters, who are not going to vote Conservative anymore because they've had enough. They're fed up uh, with four different Prime Ministers, from David Cameron to Boris Johnson to Liz Truss to now Rishi Sunak, all of whom really didn't do very much for the uh, party, didn't do very much for the, for the country, and in, frankly uh, have left us in a rather dire state. Let's talk to Peter Hitchens, columnist, of course, of the Mail on Sunday, uh, who's with us now, because it is Monday. Uh, there'll be a podcast coming out a bit later on. Peter, very good morning to you. Good morning. Just before we start and talk about your uh, crime piece this weekend, because I think a lot of people put crime very much high on their agenda as to what it is that they care about in this country, because it does tend to affect them on a uh, weekly basis. I mean, we do seem to have had four prime ministers who haven't really achieved very much for the country. I mean, would it be fair to say that's why we are in the state that we are in? Well, it has a lot to do with it. It's it's really the case that we haven't since 1997 had a, a British government devoted to the interests of this country. Uh, you could argue about whether the, the governments before that date were or were not, and, and there was a lot of criticism to be levelled against them. Mm. But it's since 1997, when the Blairites took over, the country has really fallen under the direction of dogmatic people, whose main concern has been to pursue a left-wing radical dogma on sex, drugs, rock and roll, foreign policy, education, anything you care to name, mm. uh, without really taking the interest of the country very much into account. And the, the, the allegedly Conservative Party, which replaced New Labour in 2010 with the Liberal Democrats at its side, had more or less adopted the views of the Blairites. And that's how it mm. got back into office, because it, it, it obtained, you probably remember this rather strangely, the seal of approval of the BBC, which had for more than a decade been constantly harassing and, and misrepresenting it and then suddenly when it went over to Blairism under David Cameron it started getting a reasonably fair crack on the TV that's what happens in modern politics the BBC operates like the old-fashioned medieval church hmm. it, uh, it, it bestows the blessing of the of the authorities 
on on particular parties, and that's what it did with that's that's what it did with the Tory Party in 2010. Right, and they are basically they but these these governments don't operate in the interest of the country. They're not interested in defending this country. They're interested in idealistic or or otherwise foreign wars. Uh, they're not interested in bettering the lot of, of, of the people. Neither of the parties anymore represents uh, its own constituency. The Labour Party long ago stopped representing the working class. Mm -hmm. And the Tory Party, uh, likewise, they, they all, all of major parties now represent a metropolitan elite with distinct and, in my view, concerns. Yes. So you can't expect good government from no, I remember watching Prime Minister's questions between Tony Blair and, and Cameron and thinking to myself, you know, this is really dreadful. There's literally no difference between the two men uh, in their delivery, uh, in their belief system, in their convictions, in, in anything at all. And, and who can forget, of course, David Cameron uh, going off on his husky-driven sled up to the North Pole to check on the uh, climate change scenario. That was where it all started. Yes, and of course, whether Cameron himself believed all that was in doubt. He, he, he referred to what I shall um, say, describe on the radio as green tripe uh, before doing that, and, whether, and also referred to wind farms as giant bird blenders. Whether he himself had any personal views of that kind remains in doubt. Mm. Uh, but he realised that if you wanted to get into office in modern Britain, you have to adopt this stuff. It's, it's an essential part of it. Absolutely right. Let's talk about lawless Britain. The Labour Party today have put out um, a sort of press release of, of sorts saying that uh, the Tories' record on law and order is now uh, officially abysmal. 90% of crimes going unsolved um, and basically not enough uh, uh, people getting charged, not enough people any uh, seeing inside of a courtroom, not enough people going to jail, uh, people giving up on the criminal justice system, 1.6 million cases dropped, almost 1 million violent crimes and 36,000 rapes not taken forward. I mean, it's a dreadful record, isn't it? Well, it is a terrible record, but it's rather ridiculous for the Labour Party, of all people, to be drawing attention to it. Uh, their own record in office on, on crime and punishment on policing is just as bad. This isn't a party political issue. Mm. Uh, it, again, it, it dates back in this case to the 1960s, when the country more or less gave up the principle of, of that the crime should be punished, uh, and instead saw it as a social problem to be to be managed by uh, by changing the conditions of, of the public. Basically, accepting uh, the very left-wing idea that crime was a response to poor housing conditions and low wages, which it isn't. Uh, rather than rather than the result of unrestrained human wickedness. Mm. At the same time, the great withdrawal of the police force from the streets began under the Labour Home Secretary, Roy Jenkins. And this was continued under the subsequent Tory and Labour governments to the point now where it is a complete mystery to most of us what exactly police do, because we never see them no. doing anything at all. No, exactly. And that, they, it, that, that is, this is not a party political problem. The numbers of police officers, as I think the government's correct today, are extremely high, uh, much higher than they were during the 1960s when we last had a proper a preventive foot patrolling police force genuinely restraining crime, which, which is what we've lost. And you were writing this weekend about the, the, the sort of shoplifting epidemic that we're suffering yes. from and, and pointing out that, it's, that it is actually quite terrifying. Most people I know, and probably that you know now, have seen something happen in a shop which, which is illegal. Oh, it's constant. And the poor people who actually work in the shops so are in a terrible position. They can't, they can't act against it. They won't get the backing of the law if they do. And indeed, their employers are, in many cases, quite complacent about it. They dare tackle it. Uh, because the, the legal dangers to them in doing so are so great. 
And the problem with this is that for many, many years, it's been obvious to those who are observant in this country that there is no real law yeah. against an awful lot of crime, acquisitive crime particularly. Uh, fortunately, most of the less informed people in the country, from whom the, the, the larger number of criminals uh, come, uh, they haven't realized this. Now you've actually got the, the people who are inclined to commit crime realizing on a large scale that they can get away with doing so. Well, if they can get away with doing so by simply taking stuff from shops and walking out and nothing happening to them, how long will it be before they start having other ideas about what they can just take away? Uh, it, 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 is, it is now becoming evident on a mass scale that we have in this country no serious criminal justice system, no serious police force. And it, it's very, very frightening. And it seems to me to be a, a prelude to anarchy. And that's something very, very... Well, yeah. I mean, my father used to say to me um, when, you know, in times when, when there were riots and stuff on the street, he said, you know, there might come a time one day when people just come to your house and take what they want. And who would stop Well, there is that danger, isn't there? I don't want to put it in anybody's head, but mm. you may remember some years ago there were, there were events in London which were referred to as riots, yeah. as if they had some kind of political or, or, or social discontent aspect. What they basically were were episodes of mass looting. Yeah. And it, it was the large numbers of people, I'm sorry to say, realised in London that they could just take what they wanted and the police were totally ineffectual. In many cases, weren't even there. And I said at the time, this is not... This is not some kind of protest against social conditions. Uh, it's the realization among uh, among people who have no moral restraint that they can do as they like. Yeah. If it if it repeats itself on a larger and, and, and wider scale, we all have much to fear. Uh, I got, as usual, no response at all from the political class. Look, Mike, I have in two thousand and three. I wrote a book about this, explaining what was going on about what happened to the evisceration of the police. Mm -hmm. Uh, the destruction of, uh, of the criminal justice system, the hopelessness of the courts as they are, the way in which the, the, main, uh, the, the main concern of government about prisons was to keep the prison population down uh, rather than to make sure that the prisons were themselves controlled and punitive. And I, I made all these points. I've tried to communicate them over and over again, uh, both to my fellow journalists and also to senior figures in the police and in politics. And I've been saying it over and over again. It's factually researched. It's, it's beyond all doubt. I could get no response mm. at all. I have to say, if anybody is now interested in seriously discussing it, great. But if anybody uh, in this discussion, particularly from the world of politics, starts talking about more bobbies on the beat or crackdowns, yeah. then you know that they have the clue. They have absolutely, there is no beat and there is no such thing as Bobby hasn't been for about 40 years. And crackdowns are just meaning the slogans. What you have to do is you have to restore the police as a preventive force to the streets. I believe the current police force has disqualified itself mm. from this task. It obviously doesn't want to do it. So we need to create new, uh, much more local, I have to say, and much more locally controlled police forces as we used to have. And when they're ready to move, uh, then the existing police should simply be disbanded. Uh, because they prove themselves to be uh, less used than the, the favourite yes. chocolate teapot, and they, they should just go. You can't just get rid of them in, in a in a swoop. We, they have to be replaced first, and this should be the policy of any serious government. It mm. sounds extremely radical, but in fact, it's nothing like as radical as the policy of removing them from the streets and, and eviscerating criminal justice, which has been followed by all. British governments now for about 60 years. Yeah, I mean, that is the problem, isn't it? It will come as no surprise to you that Labour's answer to the uh, problems for crime and the Tory party is indeed to put more police on the street. Uh, that's that's basically their, their, their solution. But, 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 it, but, but isn't it troubling, though, that we have government after government after government that don't seem to want to, to change that situation? They don't seem to want to fix it. Like they don't understand it. 
And this is the, the extraordinary thing about if you deal with politicians and talk to them, whether it's over this or over the issue of drugs or over foreign policy, you will find people who are utterly unlettered mm. uh, in what's actually going on. They don't have a clue. They don't know the recent history of this country. They don't know the recent history of the world. They don't know anything about uh, the actual technicalities of crime and punishment. Uh, they don't know about the breakdown of the courts. They, they seldom, in my view, visit their own country. They don't know what's going on in it. Yeah. Uh, it's quite extraordinary that we have acquired a political point. I mean, 30, 40 years ago, there were people in, in this country who fought in wars, who'd worked down coal mines, who'd done all, all the things which qualified people to say they knew a bit about real life. Now it's full of people who've come up as professional politicians with almost no contact uh, with reality as it's lived. And, and they just, they, they can't absorb it. And I, it, the, the problem that's caused this is, the, is the, the death of both the major political parties. They're corpses, they don't represent anybody but themselves. And again, the big reform, people say, oh, what we need is, is, is proportional representation. I say, no, for heaven's sake, don't do that. Uh, that means permanent government by the elite. Mm. Uh, what we need is, is for the two existing parties to be thrown in the dustbin because they're, they're presently they're just too corpses stiff with rigor mortis propping each other up. We need to get rid of them, create two political parties. I've always said they should be, uh, the simplest way of explaining it should be a, a political party which represents the views more or less espoused by the Daily Mail and a political party which more or less represents the views espoused by the Guardian. Those are the real divisions in the country. They should be represented properly in Parliament and they should fight it out, uh, out over what's a sensible policy. And together, I think we could, with, with such parties, reach uh, agreement on large numbers of major reforms, mm. one of which would be, of course, the, the, the suppression of crime, because the people who most need to have the most to fear from crime are the poor and the disadvantaged, not in fact the rich, and any serious left-wing party would be deeply... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss be concerned uh, to protect them from the from what they currently face indeed stay with us peter if you would we've got plenty more to talk about peter hitchens columnist at the mail on sunday with us uh, right now right here on talk tv uh, there will be a podcast coming out a little bit later on uh, we're going to talk to him uh, about 
The Sixth Commandment, um, a TV show that Peter's watched. He also uh, wants to talk a little bit more uh, about going uh, nuclear as well. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Peter Hitchens. We're going to uh, have a discussion about some film uh, and television stuff in a moment. But I just wanted to point something out, um, Peter, which I thought was interesting and might also feed into um, the way that politicians are. It's Lisa Nandy, um, the shadow levelling up minister, uh, who was talking about um, something this weekend. And it, and, it, and it turned out that somebody asked her about why she reversed her view on where trans-identifying male rapists should be housed, because she'd originally said they should be housed, in, uh, obviously, in, uh, in women's jails. But she's now reversed that, and she blamed it on, believe it or not, uh, being unduly swayed by young activists in her campaign team which I think tells you quite a lot, doesn't it? Peter? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> here we have, a, of course, a major political party approaching a general election and all kinds of amazing discoveries and epiphanies of, of, of waiters <laughs> uh, in, in both political parties as the election approaches. Yes. The problem with all this is uh, how, much, how, how much does it really mean? Uh, will it result in a real genuine change of view or are they just tacking towards public opinion for the obvious reason I, i'm sorry to say that the, um, <laughs> the experience suggests uh, that we might be it might be reasonable to be a bit skeptical yes but i suppose my interest was piqued more by the fact that they have these young activists which of course they all have and and that may contribute to them not particularly living in the real world well, young activists, I was a young activist once myself, have, have very strong and often rather utopian views of the world, which they take every opportunity to, to press on people. Uh, the, the, the older ones among us have the job of pointing out that utopian ideas often have unintended consequences and aren't as lovely and wonderful as mm. they initially appear. Uh, any political party which doesn't have young activists and enthusiasts in it is, is, is plainly in deep trouble. It doesn't necessarily mean they should be allowed to dominate it. No, exactly right. And that's what I mean. I would rather hope that, yeah, while it's all very well and good to have young activists, I'm quite happy to have young MPs, young members of the House of Lords, but you don't necessarily want to do everything they tell you to do. I think young members of the House of Lords is a bad idea. I think the whole point of the House of Lords is it was that it should be a repository of, of wisdom and of people saying, hang on a minute, I'm not sure about that. Quite what's, Je- what's, Je- what's Jenny Jones doing in there then? I don't think I, I think the House of Lords has been so totally ruined that I can't defend it anymore. Uh, I used to think it was a wonderful thing, particularly when it was still it still contained a lot of relatives who, whose crucial role was that they didn't owe anybody anything. Right. That nobody living had, had, had put them there. They, they they were entirely their own masters. The only fault of the House of Lords in those days was that it didn't exercise its independence enough. Uh, but now that we've lost it, I think a lot of people see that there was something rather marvellous about having a house that no living politician could appoint. Whereas now it's stuffed full of people appointed by living politicians mm. with, who owe their positions to, to the political parties and, and therefore just simply cannot be as independent as the old lot were. And it's also much, much too big. Uh, it, 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 I used to try to defend it because in principle the idea of having a, a, an unelected house is, is, is not a, a, at all the wicked idea that people think it is. But I just can't now because the thing itself is so bad. Yeah, absolutely right. Let's talk a bit about uh, the world of entertainment. You saw uh, Oppenheim, I understand. You want to talk about the Sixth Commandment? 
Well, yes, I mean, I, I, I think of the two, the Oppenheimer is much more important because it's, it's a gigantic issue and a tremendously good film could have been made about it, which Oppenheimer isn't. And the nuclear issue is vast. I, re I have to say, I recommend to people who are interested in this, uh, a very fine novel by C.P. Snow, now for various reasons out of fashion, called The New Man, uh, which is about easily obtainable still, which is about the the creation of the British bomb and the scientists who were involved in it. And Snow knew all these people. He was himself a, an expert on the sciences and he was in the civil service involved mm. in choosing the people who actually developed the British bomb. And it's fascinating because of the politics, first of all, of the uh, the, the infiltration of the, of, of the research by communist agents, which did undoubtedly take place both in this country and the United States. And then also the growing dismay among the scientists about how, how, how their extraordinary invention was being used, particularly uh, the, the bombing of Hiroshima in Japan was genuinely seen to be well, perhaps, but mm. when the second bomb was dropped in Nagasaki, a feeling that very much grew among the scientists that it was purely being done as an experiment mm. and was indefensible. The, all these things could, could, could be wonderfully explored in a, in a film such as Oppenheimer. But the film itself, first of all, it's far too long. Mm. It, it's a real endurance test for the bladder and a number of other parts of the human frame. <laughs> but it's not just that. It's, it's the, the, where there is conversation, it's overlaid by urgent music. So it's hard to hear. Uh, there's an awful lot of concentration on getting people in the right clothes and making them all smoke all the time. So we know it's in the past. But not, and also this constant feeling of resentment that Oppenheimer was, uh, was eventually deprived of security clearance because he was a bit of a lefty. Mm. And the truth was that Oppenheimer had been, everybody knew Oppenheimer was a lefty when they appointed him, but they thought he was a marvellous scientist, so they appointed him anyway. But then he behaved incredibly foolishly. I mean, he was actually approached by a lifelong friend of his uh, with the name of Hakan Chevalier and told that a Soviet agent was wanted to get hold of details of the bombs so he could pass them back to Stalin. He said, oh, well, that's a terrible idea. That's treasonous, which it was. He didn't then report it to anybody. Mm. It's astonishing. Uh, and, and then later on, I, he, what the film doesn't mention is that Oppenheimer, under pressure, uh, gave a, away the, the, the communist uh, past of quite a lot of his former students and colleagues. And if it hadn't been for having had his, his, his security clearance taken away in the hearing in which the film goes on and on and on about, he would probably be remembered as the person who dobbed in most of his colleagues for, for, for being communist. Yeah. He wasn't a complicated man, obviously extremely brilliant, and his, his doubts about the use of the bomb were, were, were actually perfectly reasonable and, and well worth expressing. But it, it's, it, it's like the, the, the same director's film of Dunkirk. You come out of it knowing less about the subject yes. than you knew before you were here. Yeah, but it also lends, uh, just, it lends you the... the... Does it not also lend you the view that the director in question is all about sort of, you know, I've touched upon a subject that hasn't been important until I touched upon it, and I'm going to give you the version of it that I think you should know, um, which may or may not bear any resemblance to reality? Well, it's, it's made, yeah, I think there's something in that, but I, I'm sure that he's, he has many talents as a director, and, and I couldn't begin to make a film as, 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 as powerful as that, but I just wish it had been a better film, and I, I think there's a certain amount of hype going on here, which is persuading people into the cinema to see a film which ought to be a lot better than it is. And I think it's the, it's the job of people like me to point out to the, the, the ordinary cinema goer that they're, they're being sold a bit of a pup. I, I just would, and also, if, if, the, if one thing comes out of this, it should be that people should look up what actually happened 
uh, and particularly, I have to say, over Japan and over America, the whole justification for the building of the bomb in the first place mm. was the completely reasonable fear that the Germans would get there first. And the idea of Hitler having the bomb and having it first and us being completely unarmed was obviously intolerable, which is why so many scientists who were generally not quite pacifistic in, in, in temperament joined in making it because they could see that Hitler couldn't be allowed to be the only holder of the bomb. But with, first of all, the Germans didn't build the bomb. And secondly, it was discovered after the war when we, we, we captured a lot of German scientists and put them in a, in a nice house in Huntingdonshire and with, with something to drink and some hidden microphones. And we found out they'd never got within miles of building a bomb in Germany. This really hadn't, hadn't been a threat. And then we have the next thing. Well, we were all told and ceaselessly told, and I used to believe this, uh, that Japan wouldn't have surrendered if it hadn't been for the bomb. In fact, the modern research tends to show that the reason why the Japanese, the main pressing reason why the Japanese surrendered was not the bomb at all. The Japanese leadership at the time were completely callous. They didn't care about mm. civilians. They sat and done nothing when, when Tokyo had been burnt to the ground with a hundred thousand people burnt to death. Uh, so, what actually moved them was the threat that Stalin, who up till then kept out of the Japanese war, uh, was about to join in and invade northern Japan. That's what caused the surrender. Now, once you've heard that, all this argument about how bombing Hiroshima and Nagasaki was okay because it saved so many British and American and, and Australian and New Zealand servicemen doesn't hold water anymore, in which case we have to think about it again and remember that actually the only world power that has ever used a nuclear weapon against civilians in real war is the United States, which yeah. is a worrying fact. Yes, it really is, actually, in that context. It does make you think. Um, we're out of time, sadly. I just wanted to touch upon your rather amusing comment about The, the Economist which you tweeted at the weekend that uh, uh, in times of trouble, you can always be comforted by the fact that they get everything wrong. <laughs> down, down in the mouth, I think. The one thing that cheers me up is just remember The Economist magazine is almost always wrong about almost everything. Yes. It is a good way to end it, I think. Thank you, Peter. Peter Hitchens, columnist at the Mail on Sunday. We'll see you next week. Uh, we'll have that as a podcast for you. Hitchens Half Hour uh, comes out every single Monday, of course, along with uh, the Independent Republican Mike Graham podcast, which is a daily podcast, comes out right after the, the show finishes, so you never miss any of the show. Uh, and if you haven't got time to listen live or watch it, uh, you can always listen to it later on the podcast. Coming up, though, uh, we're going to take loads more of your calls, 0344 499 1000. We're going to talk some more about the crime statistics as well, put out by the Labour Party this morning. Mike Neville joins us, uh, former uh, police detective, of course, at Scotland Yard. This is a Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.